Well, there is an old saying that I'm sure that you know, familiarity breeds contempt, right? You know that one? Are you familiar with that phrase? The point is that when something becomes familiar, we tend to disregard its significance. We no longer treasure it. We no longer appreciate it. Think about it. How many marriages have ended with contempt because the spouses ceased appreciating, treasuring, loving one another? Love blossoms because this feeling is new, and then when it becomes familiar, it begins to fade away. And it leads from something beautiful to ruin because of that familiarity. But there's another form of this old saying that goes like this, familiarity breeds complacency. Familiarity breeds complacency. The idea is essentially the same with a little bit of a nuance. When something becomes ordinary, we become careless. Recently, Leanne and I, we bought a new minivan for our family and uh, it was a wonderful car, and for the first few weeks, because we cared very much about it, we had a law in our household that will be no eating in the minivan, so we could take good care of it, right? We didn't want to find those stale old french fries under the seat. And I can see some of you with minivans laughing right now, because you know where this story goes. After a few weeks, you're rushing around, life gets crazy, the new van becomes familiar, and we found ourselves being careless, letting our children eat their goldfish in the car. Well, this concept of familiarity breeding complacency is nowhere more dangerous than in our Christian faith, right? I mean, how many times have you heard the parable of the Good Samaritan so that it's no longer a shocking story? Is it possible that our familiarity with Jesus has led us to laziness or complacency? Is it possible that familiarity with the teaching of the Bible has led us to kind of shrug and disregard certain really astonishing parts of it? Is it possible that because we know many of the stories of Scripture so well, we've stopped seeing them for what they are? Is it possible that the radical call to follow Jesus has become so normal to us that in actuality, we no longer really lovingly follow him because we've just drifted into complacency. I want you to open your Bible with me to John 13. And I want to read another text for us that I think is probably familiar to many of us. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, you can either like put an app on your phone right now or if you are willing to raise your hand, uh, Brian would be happy to, to drop one off for you. This story from John 13, I know that it's familiar to me. I know I've actually preached this text a couple of times before at Maricopa Springs in the decade that I've been your pastor here. So my request to you is simply that as we read this text together, as we kind of chew on what it teaches, that God would really preserve us from the error of letting what is familiar just bounce off of our hearts and not penetrate. May Jesus shock us once again with what he does, what he teaches. May the Holy Spirit 
use this text to transform our hearts. So this is John 13, verses 1 through 17. Read along with me. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' And Jesus answered him, "'What I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand.'" And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master." nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me pray for us. Lord God, this is an amazing scene. The omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, perfect creator God puts on the garments of a slave and washes the feet of his undeserving, unworthy disciples. Out of love for them, setting his glory aside to honor them. And Lord, we read this text and realize this all unfolded that we might look to this example that we might be changed, that we might also live like this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would impress these ideas on our hearts, that you would nourish our souls from your word as we look closely at this text, and that you would change us to reflect more closely the image of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. We're nearing the end of this series that I've been calling bless or that we've called bless and the whole point of the series has been to really renew our call our commitment to the mission which Jesus gave us the church exists to rescue the lost the church exists that people who are far from God might be saved and brought into his kingdom rescued we are a lifeboat We've been sent out into the wreckage of this world to rescue some who are 
drowning in their sin. That's why we are here. We exist to see spiritually dead people raised to new life so that we can teach them to live in the fullness of life that Christ offers. The church remains a force on earth so that we can take God-haters and lead them to Christ that they might become God-lovers. We've been given a mission, and the stakes are so high. They are literally life or death, not merely physical life or death, eternal life or eternal death. And so over the last few weeks, we've been exploring a possible strategy. If this is what we're supposed to do, how do we go about doing it? And the strategy to accomplish this mission that I've sort of been laying out is this idea of bless. You can see it on the screen. We are blessed by Jesus to be a blessing to the world. The reason why God has been so kind to us, the reason why God has chosen to open our eyes, is so that we would then go and be a blessing to others by pointing them to Christ. And so we bless just as a strategy to go about sharing Jesus with people. As you can see up there, bless stands for begin with prayer. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I hope that you're not waiting for me to continue to ask you to do that, but that you've begun by praying for your neighbors, your family, your friends. L stands for listen with care. We want to help people understand how Jesus actually meets their needs. And to do that, we listen before we speak. Then eat together. That creates a space for us to actually engage with people and build relationship that we might point them to Jesus. And now today, this idea, serve in love. And this is the part of our strategy that I think Jesus passes on to us in this passage, John 13. He serves in love, and he gives us this charge to continue doing what he did. So I have three kind of key ideas that I want you to see from our text, and then I'm going to kind of wrap them all together in some concluding comments. Here are my key ideas. In this text, Jesus informs our understanding. Jesus also informs our mission, and he informs our motivation. So in John 13, Jesus informs our understanding, he informs our mission, and he informs our motivation. These are the ideas that I want to meditate on this morning, and it all centers around this idea of serving in love. But before I do that, I want to clear up a possible misunderstanding, okay? Uh, I like to try and do this up front just to overcome any hurdles. The setting for the text that we just read, it's a small room. The only people present are Jesus and his 12 disciples. And in this setting, Jesus says quite clearly in verses 14 and 15 that he is giving an example for them to follow. Just like he washes their feet, the feet of the 12 disciples, he says they must go and wash one another's feet. Now, because Jesus uses this phrase, one another, I've had people claim in the past that Jesus is not giving a command to the church, but rather he's giving a command only to the people present in that room. This passage only applies then to the one another of the church, not broader than that. We're not 
called to serve and love all people like this. We're only called to serve and love Christians like this. But I want to put that wrong interpretation to rest and hopefully free you from it, okay? Because the whole purpose of this scene is Jesus giving us an example of godly love. He's not giving us an excuse to limit the application of that love. Do you see? I hope you get what I'm pressing into. How quick we often are to ask, what's the minimum that I need to do here, Jesus? What's the bare minimum? Instead of saying, Jesus, you ask me for everything, I surrender all. Now, I don't really know anyone who takes this. I mean, I guess there's a couple sects within the Christian church, but I don't personally know anybody who takes this passage literally when it comes to foot washing. I'm thankful for that because I think washing literally one another's feet on like Sunday morning at church would be kind of awkward. Some of you are nodding. Jesus is not giving us a command that we would literally wash one another's feet as if godly love and humble service only looks like washing feet. That's not the point. We should not limit the application or the expression of serving in love that Jesus models for us to feet washing, okay? The act of washing feet is only the illustration which Jesus is using to teach us about humility, service, selfless love. And if Jesus isn't trying to teach us that serving in love only looks like washing feet, then Jesus is not trying to teach us that serving in love should only be done to other Christians. See what I'm saying? To say it another way, if it's not limited to feet, then it's also not limited to Christians. If we're going to say Jesus had a wider field of action in mind than just washing feet, then he also had a wider audience in mind than just the church. Now, the reason I had Kim read that passage of Scripture for us, the parable of the Good Samaritan, was just to remind us that we are always tempted to limit the application of God's love. Just like the Pharisee. Well, yeah, Jesus, I'm happy to love my neighbor, but make it clear, who's my neighbor? And Jesus essentially says, well, your neighbor actually is the guy that you don't want to love. In our self-centeredness and familiarity with the gospel, we try very hard to wiggle out from our responsibility to love others. We sin against God by essentially asking God, what is the bare minimum that I can get away with and still get away with it? But Jesus basically answers the question of who is my neighbor by telling us to consider everyone is your neighbor. We are called to seek to do good to everyone and to love all other people sacrificially like Jesus himself loved the world. So we are to serve all people in love following the example that Christ gave us. And we should expect that in following his example, many people along the way will be persuaded by these acts of loving service to place their faith in Jesus, to be rescued by his grace. So let's look at how Jesus informs our understanding. My first point, Jesus wants us to understand what he's done and what it means for those of us who follow him. Twice in this passage, he speaks specifically about understanding. First, in verse 7, Jesus tells Peter, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now, but you'll understand later. And then again in verse 12, Jesus begins to explain the object lesson. 
And he says, do you understand what I've done to you? Because that's what this is. This is an object lesson. It's an illustration. Jesus shows us that although he is Lord and master out of love, he is willing to get undignified like a slave to serve people he loves. Washing feet, I'm sure you've heard, was the job of a slave. This was not the right place for a king to be. And although Jesus was, in fact, a king, although Jesus was perfectly sinless and innocent, he gets low and undignified. And that's what we are to understand, that since our Lord and Master and God and Savior got low to love us, we too must get low to serve and love others. Like John Piper so artfully says, humility does not feel a right to better treatment than Jesus got. Humility does not feel a right to better treatment than Jesus got. If Jesus saw his position as one of serving in love, then our position must be even lower, serving in love. I think that's why Peter says, and I've said this before, I think that's why Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Because if you get down and wash my feet, and I'm less than you, I know what that means for me. And I don't really want to get that low. If Jesus saw his position as one of serving in love, then our position must be even lower, serving in love. And by watching Jesus in this scene, we come to understand the depth of God's love through Christ's actions. Jesus has no business dressing like a slave among the creatures that he created with a word, but that's what he does. Jesus has no business kneeling before these foolish sinners, but that's exactly what he does. Jesus has no business getting his hands dirty to clean feet, but he's willing to do it. And by watching him do this, we then understand the depth of his love. We understand there is no place that Jesus would not go to show his love for people. We understand there's no action that is too humiliating for him in order that he might help us see the depth of God's grace. We understand that washing feet, dying on a cross, were all actions Jesus willingly undertook so that we might understand the loving kindness of our God. And we understand, if that's where Jesus went, if he went to that extreme and we follow him, then we too must go there. We must follow where he leads and do what he does. And so Jesus informs our understanding so that we comprehend God's love and our obligation in response to that love. Next, our text shows how Jesus informs our mission. Look, the very last thing Jesus says to his disciples is Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. We've looked at that over the last couple of weeks. He says to them, go and make disciples. But that's not the only place where he lays out his mission. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah. Maybe you remember this. And he teaches in the synagogue. And he quotes these words and says that he came to fulfill them. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was his mission all throughout his ministry, to set people free from slavery to sin and death. This was the task that he spent three years equipping his disciples to carry on after he died and made atonement for sin. And now, now, after spending this time equipping them, here's the final lesson. The mission of Jesus to serve humanity in love that many would be saved through his sacrifice. And as he makes preparations to bring his ministry his bodily ministry on earth to a close in the climax of his death and resurrection. Right here in John 13, he gives this beautiful object lesson to remind the first members of his church that the mission that he had, he is now entrusting to them to go and serve in love that the world might see Christ living in us as we love like he loved. Jesus informs our mission by showing us that serving is central to the gospel because Jesus served us in love. In another teaching moment very much like this one found in Mark 10, Jesus says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be servant of all, slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. Jesus then informs our mission by teaching us that our call is to serve others in love. He states it very clearly, John 13, verses 15 and 16. He says, For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. But I want to point out real quick here that serving Jesus in, these, in this verse right here, it has two parts, and I hope you noticed this. There's a double layer to this mission that Jesus gives us. Don't miss it. The first one is that we are called to be servants. If we're servants and we've been served by our master, then how much greater is our responsibility to serve in following him? We serve others because Christ first served us. But the second part of the verse 16, I think also often gets overlooked. Did you catch it? We are messengers. Jesus says a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. The act of carrying Christ's message of salvation is part of our duty in serving. Is that a burden that you feel? An aspect of serving in love is delivering the message of the one who sent us. The good news that Jesus lives as the redeemer of humanity. The savior of sinners. Part of our serving is delivering the message that Jesus loves sinners. Let's not, mess, let's not miss this, okay? Because one of the greatest ways that we can serve others is by giving them the hope of this message. That God loves you. If I serve my neighbor by pulling their weeds, by washing their car, by cleaning up the dog poop in their yard, if I serve them by weeping over their grief when they weep or helping them in the difficult times of their marriage, 
or any other good work I might do to serve them, that is a good thing. But if I stop there, I've only completed half of the work of really serving them. Because the point of doing acts of service in love is to earn the opportunity to share the hope of the gospel, to share the message. Serving in love establishes a meaningful relationship which then opens the door for us to point people to Christ. To give them the good news that God actually loves them and Christ's blood proves it. When we serve in love, what it does is it gives, it gives the message teeth. It proves the radical truth of what we claim through the way that we act. But these two things serving in act and serving by giving the message, they go hand in hand. They're two parts of a whole. They function together or they don't function well at all. And so Jesus informs our mission by helping us understand serving is central to the gospel. The mission is to seek and save the lost, to set free all those who are enslaved by sin. And we prove our message by taking up the same mission of serving in love like Christ Jesus served. Third, Jesus informs our motivation in this scene. It comes in verse 1. The text tells us that Jesus loved his disciples. Now again, the verse is literally referring to the 12 people seated around the table with him. But we can expand the application of that verse, I think, to include us Jesus served us because he loved us. That's why he went to the cross. Jesus may not have ever physically washed my feet or your feet, but he shed his blood on the cross to prove the depth of his love for you. And that's where we get our motivation from. The love of Jesus compels us in this act of serving in love, that we might share the gospel, the good news. We serve other people because Christ served us in love. We lay our lives down for others because Jesus has done that for us in love. And so our motivation blossoms out of an understanding. Christ served us in love. We've come to appreciate the depth of blessing that we've received through Christ's love, and that then propels us onward to love others. And so as Christians, we have a single motivation that drives our serving in love. We serve because we've been served. We love because we've been loved. That's how Jesus is teaching his disciples to be motivated Look what I have done for you. Now you go and do likewise. So what might serving like this look like for us on a practical level? If I said earlier it's not limited to washing feet, then what is it? The type A person in the room is like, all right, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this. I get to make my list. And I'm not going to say much here because I don't want to limit your thinking. I don't want to empower you to do what the Pharisee was hoping to do. Who is my neighbor? What must I do? I want to encourage you to simply bless people in love, in service. 
And use this framework. Bless. Serve people in love by praying for them. Have you been doing that since we talked about it four weeks ago? Serve people in love by listening with care and trying to see what God is already doing in their lives. Serve others in love by opening your home and sharing a meal with them so that God can show you then other ways in which you might be able to serve and deliver this message of God's grace through serving in love. I mean, honestly, isn't that enough of an application right there? Just to call you into praying for your neighbor? To lovingly spend some time listening to those around you who are in need? Those whom God has already placed in your life? Or opening your home to share a meal together with them? That you might also share with them the grace of Jesus? Delivering Christ's message of God's love through the cross. Aren't those enough ways to serve others in love? Simple, meaningful ways laid out for you. Just right here in this strategy, bless. I guess I could give you a longer list, uh, but I would be willing to bet that we're not knocking it out of the park in these areas. So why heap more upon you? I could give you maybe more practical ways to serve in love, but we're probably not doing these yet. And that brings me to my concluding point. It's what Jesus says in John 13, 17. He ends this little teaching moment with this important line. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Did you notice, are my points still up there? Yeah, okay. Did you notice that all of my points had to do with information? Jesus informs our understanding. He informs our mission. He informs our motivation. But Jesus knows that information is not enough. It's what we do with the information that matters the most. I want to put a quote up here from John Calvin because I like the way that he puts it. He says, Knowledge does not deserve to be called true unless it leads believers to conform themselves to Jesus. In other words, you don't have true knowledge until it leads you to be like Jesus. On the contrary, to look on Christ and the things that belong to him as outside ourselves, is a vain imagination. There are many who are slow and cold in the duties of love. It shows us how far we still are from the full light of faith. This is why Jesus illustrates his teaching with action. He doesn't just sit there and give them a lecture or a discourse. He does something. He takes up the towel to model serving in love. I guess as I'm standing here, I, I'm thinking I'm doing it wrong because all I'm doing is telling you. Maybe I should have brought a bath and washed your feet this morning. But hopefully you get the point. Jesus takes up the towel to model serving in love, to show us what it looks like to be blessed in the doing, 
not just the knowing. And like John Calvin says, we cannot say that we truly know Jesus unless we also do what he has taught us to do. Jesus punctuates his object lesson not with a lecture, but with one simple sentence where he says, the blessing is in the doing, not merely the knowing. Our series, Bless, really has nothing to do with knowing. Like, you know this stuff. It's all about doing. To know that we are blessed to be a blessing is meaningless if we don't actually act as a blessing. Do you see? To put this strategy card that we have, like on this back table that was in your bulletin a few weeks ago, and grab one on your way out if you don't have one, but to put that little note card or the bookmark, like on your fridge or in your Bible, is not a blessing. You will not be blessed by doing that. Because the blessing of Jesus doesn't come through knowing, it comes through knowing that leads to doing action in obedience. And so it's not enough for us to be informed. We need to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. As Rodney Whitaker puts it, the gospel is a life to be lived and not an ideal to be complicated, contemplated. One way the Bible teaches us the urgency of doing is by pointing to the demons as an object lesson that should terrify us. The demons know information about God that is right, but they do nothing in response to that information, so they are not blessed. To the contrary, they know and are damned and condemned. And Jesus warns us and says, not everyone who knows that he is Lord will be saved, but only those who do the will of the Father, following his example of love. And so as I wrap this up, my, my great fear for myself and for my church is that familiarity with these things would lead us to be complacent. Do you see? That because the mission of the church to seek and save the lost is familiar, we might grow cold and lazy in our love for Jesus to engage in that work. Familiarity might lead to complacency, and we might fail. As we stand before Jesus, passionately nodding our heads and claiming, we know, we know, we've got, look at our good theology, our right information, Jesus, we know. While Jesus shakes his head in sorrow, you're not blessed because your great knowledge is hindering your obedience, keeping you from the doing and so let us be doers of the word, not hearers only. May God bless us, not because we know these things, but because like Jesus commands his disciples, because by serving others in love, we do what Christ invited us to do. And may we see the kingdom of Christ Jesus more clearly through his mission. As we begin in prayer, listen with care, eat together, and serve in love. Let me pray for us. God, the truth is we cannot do these things without your grace, without your power, without your passion. And so I pray that you would...
put these things in us. Lord, that we wouldn't try and do these things just because it is our duty, but we would do them in your strength, in your power, through your spirit. Lord, make us faithful. Make us faithful to know and to do. Out of love for you and love for others, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.